Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, November 4th, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing the podcast from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is the Rev. We've seen the light of the holy dark room, Lord. That would be Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster only working from my home in New York, back home from the World Series, Taylor, and there's uh, always something a little exciting about that, going into the offseason. Not only, you know, you got a lot of offseason moves coming up, but it's going to be nice to get into uh, an offseason regimen, you know, in bed at 10 o'clock, up at 4, that sort of thing. Yeah, no one is, no one's crying for us, but, but you know, just personally, you know, our, our schedules, our daily schedules are wrecked once the playoffs start. So I'm yeah. happy to, you know, get a workout in, like you said, go to bed at a reasonable time. Um, all the, you know, not, I mean, I love the show, but I, I will be happy to take a, a break from our daily cadence for a little bit. So, uh, yeah. And it, and I, the uncertainty of the off season, I mean, we have like big major existential questions about the league and, um, you know, the, the players union negotiating here, but then just like where are all these, you know, we've been talking superstar shortstops all season long. I'm excited to see how this is all going to shake out. Yep. And we're going to be talking with Jeff Passant about that coming up. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, we had the daily podcast, uh, you know, running since what was it? February that we started doing that. I think going forward this off season, I'm thinking generally speaking, we'll aim to do one podcast a week while, you know, we'll, we'll jump in. If there's news to react to, we'll certainly do that. Last week, we generally talked about doing one every two weeks and that felt a little light to me. Yeah, yeah, we can we can pick up the pace a little bit here because uh, I think there will be more, uh, you know, aside from like a work stoppage and then there's nothing going on. But it kind of feels like there will be more to talk about. And we don't we don't have to go super long. We can just check in and say hello and, and talk to our pals here and uh, and move on. But just a little something extra for you folks to chew on. Exactly. We're also going to talk to uh, Todd Radom today. He's going to have the last of a weekly quiz and we will honor a podcast tradition at the back end. First, some news and notes. The Atlanta Braves will give a nod to the past and present with a two-part parade Friday celebrating their first World Series title in 26 years. The Braves defeated the Astros on Tuesday night to wrap up the championship, and their procession will start at Woodruff Park in the heart of downtown Atlanta, not far from their former homes at Turner Field in the old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. The team, which returned to Atlanta on Wednesday night, will be uh, honored for about two miles along the city's most famous thoroughfare, Peachtree Street before being escorted to its current home in suburban Cobb County to resume the parade for another mile. Uh, teams are making moves all over the place. Players are making moves. The Phillies declined club options for next season for outfielders uh, Dubal Herrera and Andrew McCutcheon. Yusei Kikuchi uh, chose free agent after the Seattle Mariners declined his option. Yesterday, the Cincinnati Reds traded veteran catcher Tucker Barnhart who's an excellent defensive player to the Detroit Tigers. You know, the Tigers managed by former catcher AJ Hinch value defense. So that's a big uh, uh, move for Detroit. Nick uh, Castellanos opted out of the last two years of his deal with the Reds. He's 29 years old. He could have gotten $34 million in those next two years. So he's betting he'll get more in, in this offseason. I think that's absolutely going to be the case. Uh, given the respect for him as a hitter and as a competitor. And we got a uh, some breaking news yesterday, first from The Athletic. Buster Posey will announce his retirement later today. This is a player who I believe is a Hall of Famer. We're going to be getting into all that. Taylor, what do you got? 
Buster, a couple podcasts to promote here. First of all, Swagoo and Perk, we've been talking about it a bunch. New episodes on Tuesday this week. Kendrick Perkins and Marcus Spears are having an open conversation about mental health and sports, including their own struggles, coming to terms with the end of their playing careers. Also, I want to promote the Woj Pod. Adrian Wojnarowski, he's always getting the best guests in the NBA this week. He's got Atlanta's John Collins on talking about uh, his push for his $125 million extension. That must be nice. Growing up as a military brat and much more. And NBA Today, we've talked about it a bunch, but 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on ESPN, the ESPN app, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Jeff Passon covers baseball for ESPN. And Jeff, uh, have you recovered? How many days will it take you to recover uh, from the World Series coverage? As you know, it's basically a sports writer tradition, baseball writer tradition, that you get sick at some point in the first week after the World Series. Uh, I tend to get sick during the playoffs. So I get my sickness out of the way and then and then come home to recover and be on the mend. I uh, it's also a a tradition where I don't sleep on the last night of the World Series because I'm staying up and writing the big recap. Love doing that story. And I got home yesterday and I think I was sitting on the couch at about six o'clock. And my eyes just started shutting and, and I heard my child mocking me like it was a subconscious voice where he was saying, is this old man really asleep? And the answer was sort of yes, <laughs> but I snapped to, and I said, yeah, no, you, you sound like you're absolutely yeah, I, I, through it. <laughs> I'm supposed to be, hold on, let's try this again. <laughs> no, it's not working. <laughs> I'm supposed yeah. to be coming home and getting healthy. And my voice is literally giving out in the middle of this. So uh, point being, I'll get there, Buster. I'll be OK at some point. And hopefully by the end of this podcast, my voice will be better. 
Well, my kids are older than yours, and I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, the mocking will only increase in frequency as they get older. There's no doubt about it. Uh, all right. We got news yesterday. Buster Posey, uh, the Athletic, was the first to report that he is going to announce his retirement later today after 12 years in the big leagues. Uh, and the, one of the questions is going to be, is he going to get voted into the Hall of Fame? I think yes. Uh, a career 302 average, 372 on base percentage, 158 homers, 1,500 hits, seven all-star appearances, rookie of the year, MVP, yeah. and, of course, at the heart uh, of three championships. Uh, that's, you know, for me, and I'll explain, give my case after you, I hear yours, uh, yes or no. Uh, I suspect that this will be on the downside. Uh, as of today, Manny Machado, Andrew McCutcheon have more career war right. than Buster Posey. Uh, he's in the range. There are Hall of Famers in the range of his 44.8, according to baseball reference, Lou Brock at 45.3. But it's going to be an interesting case, and I think it's going to have ramifications for other players. I think he gets in. I think you're right. Um, I don't vote anymore like you. I personally would probably not vote for him. And again, I understand that I'm in the minority, might be a distinct minority there, but I was I was not a small hall guy, but I was a smallish hall guy. And to me, if you're going to take the Koufax route, you need to be the guy for multiple years. And Buster Posey was a very, very good player. Uh, I, I think you could argue that he was among the, you know, 10 best in baseball for a two or three year stretch there. And uh, when he played, when he was healthy. Uh, he was excellent, but I I just don't think there is enough there in terms of counting stats for a Hall of Fame career for me. Uh, I think in order to have that 10 to 12 year career uh, playing fewer than 1500 games, you know, uh, fewer than 160 home runs, uh, I, I just think you need to have multiple MVPs. And I understand that the rings are there and that those add to his case. The fact that he was a leader adds to his case. Um, the The fact that he was uh, widely and universally seen as like a good influence in that clubhouse and a good person all in all adds to that case. I, I There's just not enough bulk there for me. Okay. And you mentioned the Sandy Koufax comparison. I think that's that's the name. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, uh, that that's the name because Sandy Koufax, as you know, uh, it took him a while to figure out his command right. to get, uh, and then he was absolutely dominant from 1961 to 1966. Had six incredible years. Buster Posey from 2012 to 2017. I think you would agree with me was either the first or second best catcher in baseball through that time. Uh, in those years, had uh, 311 average, 380 on base. 137 OPS plus. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that would satisfy me in terms of his being at the top of his position for an extended period of time. But you're saying you feel like it wasn't so dominant that you would want to see more in terms of bulk. Yeah. And and I just. I, I look at Buster Posey as somewhere between the hall of very good in the hall of fame. My, my instinct tells me, and maybe like, I, I need to recognize something here. I might have a bias against catchers because I, for a long time had been, and I, I think, you know, the bulk has caught up there for a long time. I was, uh, I was out on Yadier Molina 
Like I and and Cardinals fans just loathed me for it. This idea that how dare someone say Yadier Molina, King of Kings, catcher of catchers, the combination of Roy Campanella and Johnny Bench. And I mean, you know, the, the way St. Louis Cardinals fans look at Yadier Molina is the way that I look at a chocolate chip cookie. Like it's a perfect thing. There's nothing you can do to make it any better. But for a while, I was out on the idea of Yadi as a Hall of Famer and I'm out on Posey and I'm out on Maurer, I think. And and it makes me wonder, uh, do I have some kind of bias against catchers? Because the reality is, Buster, the Hall of Fame kind of has a bias against catchers. It is the least, I believe, represented position by a pretty significant margin. Yep. Which is why, you know, I pitched to our boss today to write a piece today about how I think that Posey and I don't think he's you know, like he's not going to be unanimous selection uh, for sure. But I think eventually, like you, I believe that he's going to get in. And I think he's going to lead a reexamination of that position by Hall of Fame voters, much in the same way how for years, if you were a short reliever, forget it, you weren't getting in. And then Bruce Souter got in. And then all of a sudden it began to change a little bit. There was a reexamination of short relievers to the point that eventually, uh, you know, someone like a, a, a Trevor Hoffman is a slam dunk candidate. And I thought about if, in fact, Buster gets in, voted in the Hall of Fame, then Thurman Munson will suddenly look very different to the, yeah. the veterans committees. Jorge yeah. Posada, who didn't get a fair shake, uh, let's face it, because of the, the steroid era uh, logjam that we had with candidates. Um, if Buster Posey gets in, then Jorge Posada absolutely should be added to the Hall of Fame sometime. Um, so I think there will be sort of a, a shift on that. Yeah. Uh, my my thing with the Hall of Fame has always been who were the absolute best players of that era. Uh, not necessarily the best players at each individual position, but just who were the best period. And, and maybe uh, like the, the argument for catchers could be, that maybe because of the inherent difficulty of the position, it makes it almost impossible for someone to go out there and be the offensive force that he needs to be in order to put himself up there with those standard bearers in any particular year. And the notion that a catcher can, can be the best player for multiple years on end just isn't a realistic thing. Now, if that's the case, does that, necessitate a re-examination of the position itself or maybe has the lack of catchers been in Cooperstown just been correct from from the beginning because maybe the the longevity and trajectory of their careers are yes affected by the position but there's nothing you can do about that there, there's no extra points to be given for them just because they happen to play a particular position that's more demanding yeah, and there's some threads with that that, you know, be worth looking at for me today if I want to write in this piece uh, about, for example, injuries, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the fact is, is that, yes, you know, back in the day, Yogi Berra was going to catch more games. Well, Yogi Berra was also catching guys who are throwing 82. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he I was, mean, it is I, – I have – let me – like, this, this is a – this is going to sound like an infantile thing here. So my apologies, but as my son has started to throw harder, I have gained more respect for catchers. Now I know that they're geared up and I understand that they're catching 
you know, curveballs that are going as fast as my kid's fastball. But damn, it's hard. Like it's really hard to to catch a baseball that is moving at high speeds to get hit with it. Like if you wear a, a fastball from a 14 year old off your leg, I'm going to send you a, a picture of this. It looks like the most beautiful rainbow you've ever seen. Like the way that I just bruised up from a fastball, like a 72 mile an hour fastball that got spiked and it hit me. I'm clearly of weak constitution, but still the what catchers do back there every day, squatting the way that they do. Like, yeah, I this is this is like the real in time examination of my own biases against catchers. And maybe it's just that I don't know how to objectively add value like in my head, you know, wins above replacement, honestly, I think is a terrible way to to measure catchers. I just don't think it does a good job. Uh, I don't think framing metrics have, have been properly rated in terms of their, uh, their transition to war. Yeah. Um, But I look at it and it's almost like uh, mad respect catchers. Like I have all the respect in the world for you. I just don't know how to show it. Um, your, your story reminded me of uh, hearing about Mike Messina when he was growing up, his dad used to catch him. His dad is a lawyer. I think his first name is Malcolm, if I remember correctly. And, uh, and then when Mike was like 12 or 13, uh-huh. Uh, he threw a fastball that hit his dad on the kneecap, right on the point of the kneecap when he yeah. squatted down as a catcher. And, and, and his dad was like, okay, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like, I'm done. Like <laughs> your child, you're taller than me now. That's emasculating enough. You throw harder than I ever did. That's emasculating too. Don't hurt me now. Like that's just insult to injury at this point. Um, I did want to tell, you know, I've got some fun uh, stories about Buster Posey that I wanted to tell. Um, You know, he's the only adult that I've ever met who has the same name, Buster. I've met hundreds and hundreds of dogs and cats with that name. Uh, So that's always been fun. I've been introduced on many radio shows as Buster Posey. But the best, and Jeff, I know this this was going to make you laugh. And I'm not going to say the name of the person because I don't want to embarrass this person. This person's still alive, but within his field, he's a superstar. Uh, This happened on, and now we can sort of hide his identity because now I've done like, uh, you know, almost 2000 podcasts. Um, There was a time when we had a guest on the pod and I realized, Jeff, one question into it, that the guest thought he was talking to Buster Posey. Oh, boy. Right. And I didn't want to embarrass this person, but I also wanted to have him on the pod. And so I structured my questions in a way that got him away from sort of identifying that. And at the back end, Josh Macri was producing the pod at the time. At the back end, I said to Josh, I'm like, Josh, he thought I was the the Giants catcher. And you and I both know the last person in the world who would host a podcast would be Buster Posey. Right. And I remember no, telling no, Buster no. that the following spring and he, he, he got the biggest laugh out of it. I have no doubt, you know, he's retiring at age 34 that the reason why is because he's someone who's made a lot of money in his life. Um, he grew up with a very close knit family in Georgia. I was texting back and forth with Bruce Bochy this morning. Um, that's where he's going to wind up. He's going to go back and be uh, a coach to his kids. I never got to know Buster Posey particularly well. And that was always something that I was disappointed in. 
because interactions with him were great. And he was, whenever I talked with him, I walked away from the conversation thinking, wow, he is really smart. Yep. Like he is a sharp guy. He gets it. Um, he, he understands that he was gifted with something and that he's able to go out and do this job and do it really well, but that's not his identity. And we saw that when he opted out during the pandemic season. And we're seeing that now when think about the gift that it is Buster to go out after missing a year, be awesome. And then say, you know what? I'm done. Yep. I'm okay with that. I'm cool with it. Uh, I, I've I've always I've always deeply admired men who can walk away at their peak. Whether it is Barry Sanders, Jim Brown, Calvin Johnson, you don't see it in baseball a whole lot. There aren't many examples of guys who leave when they're at their absolute best. And I think you know Buster Posey wasn't his prime prime this past year, but was there a better catcher in baseball? I don't think so. No, I would agree. Yeah, hit 304, 390 on base, 18 home runs. Uh, you know, it was right at uh, the heart of what the Giants accomplished this year and surprising mm-hmm. everybody in baseball. All right, enough about catchers, enough about Buster Posey. Let's talk about uh, the offseason coming up. Normally- Actually, can we can we go back for just one second? I want you to look. I texted you the pictures. Do you have your phone right there? No, I, I don't. All right. I want, I, I want to see his reaction in real time to what happened to my leg. Wow. It does throw hard. <laughs> it's again, it's either that or, or I'm particularly soft and, and that, that part may be true, but. Well, when, I know what your son believes. If it's one of the two, I know which one your son believes. I, I think it's, I think it's both actually. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, normally in most off seasons, I would run through all the teams and I'd run through the, the prime free agents and ask you what's going to happen with this guy. What's going to happen with that guy. I think we need to start though, with what's going to frame the context for this whole winter. And that is the upcoming talks or the ongoing talks or non non discussions about the, uh, the labor agreement. Where do we stand there? They're talking and we've seen some progress, I think, uh, but but the the major issues still have not been resolved, and the the notion that they're going to get resolved over less than a month we're talking now doesn't seem particularly realistic. Could it happen? Sure. I mean, I, I'm not going to be a pessimist about this because I feel like I've been realistic about it the whole time. That yeah, we're probably going to get to 11.59 p.m. on December 1st without a new collective bargaining agreement? Probably. If we do, I I want people to understand the sky is not falling, right? Like there is no issue with spending the next couple of months trying to figure that out as long as games do not get lost. But once we start getting into spring training, that's where the panic is going to come in. And that's where people can get understandably frustrated because baseball offseason is supposed to be about trades and it's supposed to be about free agent signings. And it's uh, one of the, for me, it's the, not the most exciting time of the year. I still love the playoffs, but it's certainly second. And, And for a lot of people, 
they they look at the off season as almost the second season. It's it's it is it is always amusing to me, and I'm sure you get this as well, Buster. When non baseball fans who are in your life, whether it's friends, whether it's the parents of your children, whether it's teachers, whether it's people who recognize you at the grocery store or whatever, say. So now that the season's over, what are you planning on doing on vacation? And I'm like, I, I, it depends how well I know the person. If I know the person like well enough, I'll, I'll be kind of rude and say, like, my season's just starting now. You know, when, when the regular season ends, the, the actual transactional season is, is what I am here for. And not having that right now is going to be really weird because we're not going to have that. I understand that in the past, especially the past couple of years, it's been delayed, right? Uh, you know, teams have been looking to push back more and more the, the signings of players and you've had really slow starts to, to winners, but uh, th- this is one of those where absent a, a small trade here, or there or a couple of contracts uh, of, you know, relatively insignificant signings. I just don't, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot over the next month. No, I would agree with you. Uh, you know, we had the the deal yesterday where the Tigers pick up an experienced catcher, Tucker Barnhart, but it's on a very limited contract. Yeah, that's exactly. Sort of thing, exactly. Right? That's the sort of thing we're going to see, right? We'll probably see the Atlanta Braves again, jump the market, sign one or two players of one-year deals, but they're not going to be these massive contracts doled out uh, for free agents, I wouldn't imagine. Well, how how could you if you're right. a player? Like that, that to me is the biggest or thing. Or a team. I mean, everybody needs more context about where the financial landscape is going to land. No, but uh, okay. So let me, let me make an argument and tell me if I'm wrong here when it comes to the team side. The vast majority of teams, Buster, are not going to be going near whatever the competitive balance tax threshold is. And they're not going to be, you know, they, they know worst case scenario for teams, if there's some sort of change in the economics, it would be that there's a floor. So they would have to go and spend. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's realistic, but it is something that's been discussed. I just think most teams have a budget or a general sense of where their budget is set. And, and it's the players who are going to need to figure out what the dollars that they're looking for are within that budget, just how high the high end teams are going to stretch the, those low to middle class teams though. I think they could theoretically go out and spend without any concerns about how the new CBA is going to affect them. Cause in a lot of ways, it's the teams that are at the margins, both at the top and the bottom end that are most affected. Here's how I think it could be a factor is that if in fact the labor talks aren't going well and they're going to drag out a long time and there's some uncertainty, if the season is going to start on time, what that's going to mean is that there are some teams who are going to struggle to sell tickets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. And, and, and I'm not justifying that. I mean, we saw like, you know, the Oakland owner uh, cut the minor league salary from 400 to $300 a week, right. Uh, during the pandemic. Um, so some of that is not necessarily going to be justified by the numbers, but that's how some teams will treat it. Like we're not spending money if we don't think that we're going to be able to sell tickets until April. And, and, and you know what? I hope I hope fans call them out on that. By the way, 
I, I, I hope that that just seems like a, it seems like an excuse and, and a not very good one. Tickets are going to sell if there are games played. And just because tickets aren't selling at a particular time doesn't give you as an organization or it does give you, it shouldn't give you the leeway to say, you know, we're not going to put any money into baseball operations. Why would you buy tickets if you have a team that's saying we're not going to spend on our team? Like that, yeah. that's the, that's the part, that's the part of this that uh, it, it throughout the past year, uh, the past five to 10 years as tanking has been a thing has been very interesting to see, like what incentive do fans have to buy tickets if teams admit they're not going to be any good? I don't Orioles. get how that works. <laughs> Orioles. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I, I mean, let's face it, if it plays out, if it drags out, the longer that it drags out, who, the people who are going to get absolutely hammered the most and bear the brunt of that uh, financially are going to be the free agents. And, you know, yeah. you look back at the signings that happened last winter because everything got dragged out. Uh, we didn't know the impact of the, the pandemic, teams with their budgets. The idea that Kike Hernandez wound up with a two-year, $14 million contract seems absurd. The idea that Mark Melanson didn't re-sign with the Braves because he got $3 million seems absurd. But those are the guys who are going to get pounded by this. Yes? Always. And and that's, that's, I think, what is at the heart of this collective bargaining situation. It's that the MLBPA wants free agency to matter for, for the longest time. Let's remember for the longest time free agency was the thing for which they were fighting. It's where their identity was forged and it was something that was extremely successful. So the notion that free agency isn't Valhalla for a particular set of players right now is something that's difficult to come to terms with when so many of the gains that you've made and so much of the solidarity that you've shown has come from the fruits of free agency. That was the bet that Marvin Miller placed that free agency was going to be the thing that made players rich. And it was a hell of a bet. Like he knew he understood what the motivations are. He understood the economics. He understood everything and saw it years, decades, honestly, in advance. But free agency now in this era where teams are smarter, where they're more efficient and where they pride themselves on that intelligence and efficiency just is not what it once was. And to try and put levers in place to make it so again, you worry about what the unintended consequences there are going to look like. And if there's anything that can actually salvage free agency itself, other than something like, hey, let's just get everyone out there earlier so they can get paid and actually get paid. Because when you got a three in front of your age and you're going to free agency, you're just looked at differently. Yep. Um, and I've kept you too long this morning. But I, before you go, I do want to get a guess from you in the minute we have left. Uh, what's your guess? And that's all it is. It's a total guess as to when you think that there might be an agreement. Because mine at this point I was more optimistic a month ago. I'm less optimistic now after hearing various voices. Uh, all of that, as you and I know, can change with one really productive conversation between the two sides. Uh, my guess at this point was that the start of the regular season will effectively become the deadline these two sides need, and then we'll get an agreement sometime mid to late March. How about you? 
Uh, that's more pessimistic than I am. I I think that by the middle of February, people are going to start getting extremely antsy. Okay. And they're going to understand that free agency is going to take about two weeks. And I, I do wonder, Buster, whether this is the sort of thing that will finally kill the six-week spring training. Players don't need six-week spring trains anymore. 95% of them come to spring training ready to throw and in great shape. And uh, frankly, spring training's eyewash at this point. Um, so I, I'm guessing there will be a deal in place by February 15th. I hope you're right. I hope All I'm right, right Jeff. Uh, get some sleep uh, and uh, yeah, you go out, spend some, spend a, spend some of your money, go out and get a, a catcher to catch your song. I think I'm going to do either that or some equipment. And also, by the way, uh, let's go voice. You made it like after that early stumble, we made it through to the end. And I feel good about that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Buster. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. And Todd is our closer. Congratulations. I, I think that's appropriate, Todd. Wow, Buster. I, I don't know if I am the closer because annually, the late commissioner of baseball, A. Bartlett Giamatti, is truly the closer. <clears throat> but that said, I'm happy to be the eighth inning guy, hand the ball off, and conclude this amazing season Congratulations to the Braves and to Braves fans everywhere, including your son, Jake. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I, today I get to bring uh, get to uh, give him his World Series swag. He's very excited about that, uh, you know, later today. And I'm sure that, you know, he probably showed up at school with a Braves sweatshirt and probably had, you know, fans of the Yankees and Mets running in the other direction among his peers. Hey. Um, uh, real quick, uh, yeah, uh, Bart Giamatti, of course, passed away more than 30 years ago, which is why you are the true closer. But we're going to be hearing from the former commissioner with his reading of Greenfields of the Mind. Uh, but you have you were telling me before we got going about an interesting connection with Bart Giamatti. Yeah, Buster, I have a close friend of mine who um, is a sports attorney and uh, worked at the commissioner's office for some time. And he was hired by Bart Giamatti in the middle of all of the Pete Rose messiness in 1989. And, uh, you know, for those who are not intimately familiar with the details, it was an ugly time. And you can imagine being a young attorney, being hired into that environment and working long, long hours and not really getting to know your boss. And he has told me stories about the fact that Bart Giamatti would come to him very late nights and say, listen, you know, we're going to go out to dinner. We're going to get there. We just have to power through all this. And of course, 
Bart Giamatti passes away very tragically, very suddenly, uh, and uh, regrets are had. And, um, you know, Buster, it's impossible, and you can get into this, but to think about a man of letters, president of Yale University, and uh, a lover of baseball like most commissioners are, probably all, but um, it's really it's really difficult to comprehend this particular man being the commissioner of this sport. I think he was brokenhearted uh, by the by the P. Rowe situation because there was clearly a part of him, and you're going to hear that in Greenfields of the Mind, that you know he had such a he he hung on to a romantic uh, feeling for baseball, and so the idea that he was going to be the one who was going to kick out the guy who got more hits than anybody else in the history of baseball and say what you want about Pete Rose. It was clear that Pete loved to play. I think that that, that was devastating for Bart Giamatti on a different level, which is why along the way that he kept on trying to give him opportunities to put himself in a better position vis-a-vis baseball. Please admit everything. Tell us everything so we can get this on the table, so we can get back to rehabilitating you into baseball. And Pete never took those opportunities, you know? So, uh, and I'm sure that that absolutely weighed on Bart Giamatti uh, in what turned out to be the last months of his life. Okay, let's get to this week's quiz, the last quiz of the year. Week 34, gentlemen. Taylor, six wins. Buster, 11 wins. There have been 16 ties. So yeah, we already held our parade. Like my parade went in two parts uh, in the center of downtown of uh, downtown Randolph Center, Vermont, and going past the farm. We did that months ago, having wrapped this up. But go ahead. And that took about three minutes, probably. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Man, then this is 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> this is the perfect question for week 34. The world champion Atlanta Braves share the same red and blue Pantone colors oh, with this man. club. <laughs> is it a the Royals, B the Cubs, C the Cardinals or D the Blue Jays. This club shares the same red and blue Pantones with the world champion Braves, Royals, Cubs, Cardinals, or Blue Jays. Taylor. That's got to be the Cardinals, right? Wait, don't, don't give the answer yet. He he said, you got to be the Cardinals. And here's this interesting question because I feel some uncertainty in Taylor's answer. And while I am badly colorblind and probably can't, see the same Pantones as Taylor can. I sense an opportunity here. He's saying the Cardinals. Boy, oh boy. You know what? I'm going to go with the Blue Jays. Jorge Soler has stepped up to the plate and hit it, hit it, hit the snot out of the ball. It's still going. Is there a stewardess on this plate? Because it's the Cardinals, Taylor. Yes. Eat it, Buster. (laughs) Sorry about that. I had to. I had to. Well, you know, I I have no idea what Pantones you were talking about. (laughs) Well, you know, if it would be like Mickey Mantle, you know, standing there, you know, at at the plate about to hit his last career home run, he gets a pitch groove to him. Not to say this is your last home run, Taylor, but (laughs) it might be. But. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would hope that you would get that question because it's right in front of you in a way that it isn't for me. 
pull the curtain back here. Jeff Passan is, is waiting in the wings to uh, to tape his segment. And as soon as the word Cardinals came out of my mouth, he shook his head like, nope. And I thought for sure I was in trouble. But uh, oh, I'll okay. take the victory. <laughs> All right. Well, Todd, thank you very much. Thanks for coming on every week. Always love talking with you. And, and I'm so happy that we have these series of one-year contracts locked into place forever. Yeah, secured by pizza in Denver, Buster. Thank you. Thank you, Taylor, the Reverend, for, uh, you know, you're, you're keeping the trains moving uh, every Friday morning, usually for me. Thank you, Buster. Thanks to all our fans. Uh, and, the, and here we go. Winter begins. So thanks, guys. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Thursday. Bradford Leach at B Leach or Bleach. I think I like Bleach better. Uh, 26 writes in. Thank you for another amazing season of the Baseball Tonight podcast. I listen every day and will miss my daily fix. Thank you for the kind words, Bleach. Yeah, Bradford, thank you very much for that. Uh, thanks for listening every day. Uh, look, I love the fact that uh, how the podcast, so much of what we do on a daily basis is built around uh, what you guys want us to talk about. David is up next at Baseball Fan 1918. Our pal David writes in, just wanted to say that I have enjoyed the season and I appreciate all the work you both put into the podcast. I joined Twitter just for Bleacher Tweets and appreciate the listener interaction that this pod encourages. Already looking forward to the off-season specials. David, thanks for hopping on uh, on Twitter for us. I mean, you've, your tweets have been great. We love having you in the mix here. Yep. And we are going to have, as I mentioned at the top of the show, more off-season podcasts this uh, this winter. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I just want to mention, you know, part of the reason why we have more interaction was based on a suggestion, I want to say about three, four years ago from Louise Cornetta, uh, who oversees this podcast. Uh, and it was a great idea. And it's fun every day to, you know, to work in the bleacher tweets, the questions we're getting uh, from the listeners to, to folks we have on the podcast. And uh, between Louise and uh, Pete Giacini, I, I always feel like we have great support here. Absolutely. Goat bosses out there. Love Pete and Louise. Let's go to uh, Katie Casey at Tweeter Bleats. Writes in, what is your sense on Buster Posey's future in baseball? Do you think he will walk away completely or still be involved down the road, whether it be coaching or broadcasting? I think he's going to be an excellent coach of his kids. <laughs> I, you know, I think that's why he's retiring. I just haven't gotten to know him a little bit. I think he really values being around his kids. And the great thing is, and I was uh, you know, texting back and forth this morning with Bruce Bochy, who's on his way to San Francisco to be part of that ceremony. And we talked about that. You know, Buster comes from a really close family in Georgia, and I would fully expect that that's where he's going to go and he's going to be on the sidelines and and, uh, you know, the the opposing uh, parents will be like, hey, wait, isn't that, the, you know, the, the, the Hall of Fame catcher Buster Posey who's coaching on the other side of that, you know, that 10 year old game? I think that's absolutely what he's going to be doing. Next up, we have Thomas Kennedy at Game 686 writes in, Hey, Buster, how about Ron Washington and manage the Mets? Would love to see him manage again, especially my team. Yeah, Ron Washington, Buck Showalter, Bochi. I think that the next manager they have needs to be someone with experience. Marcus Cleaver at Marcus Cleaver writes in, is this the end of the current championship window for the Astros or do they still have another run in them? That's an interesting question. And I was asked that by Mike Greenberg yesterday. And his premise on his radio show was, you know, this is the end of the line because Zach Ranke's leaving and Carlos Correa is likely leaving as as a free agent. And I don't agree with that. You know, they still have a good core of players between uh, Guriel and Bregman, 
uh, and Altuve. They've got some young pitching that's been established from Berbeldez. Uh, I, I, and especially with Oakland now slashing their payroll and probably trading some of their guys during the winter time, you know, the fact that the Rangers might have two or three more years of development before they're relevant. I, I think Houston's going to continue to, you know, be the standard bearer in the American league West. Let's go to Carlos Munez at Carlos Almighty. Carlos writes in Verlander, Scherzer, Grinky, Kershaw are all part of the Mount Rushmore of this generation starting pitchers and are all free agents next season. Who is signing where and what do these contracts look like? If Kershaw continues to play, I'm sure he'll be with the Dodgers. I don't think he's going to get as much because at this age, um, you know, he's not going to be as productive. He doesn't throw as many innings. He's got the injury history. Um, I think it's kind of year to year with him and he'll pay, be paid very well. My guess is somewhere in the range of 25 million. Um, you know, with Zach Ranke, I think there'll be a team that will definitely want him. Um, boy, in terms of a deal, again, I think Zach is at the stage where he's going to wind up with a one-year deal. I think Max has put himself in position to get a three-year contract because he was so good this year. And you know, Max is going to pick a place where he has a chance to win the Cardinals would be a great fit for him. How much fun would he and Adam Wainwright have uh, being teammates? And, you know, Max, of course, having grown up in Missouri. And Justin Verlander, it feels like he's going to get a big offer from the Detroit Tigers, like a legacy offer, not only to go back there and potentially lead us a team that's on the rise on the pitching staff, but because he started with the Tigers and someday he'll go into the Hall of Fame with the Tigers cap. Last one for today. Last one for the 2021 season. Zach Olszewski at Zosho 2109. He just kept, Zach keeps tweeting Cubs at me. It doesn't matter what I'm tweeting about, what you're tweeting about, Buster. He just keeps tweeting Cubs. So this gentleman, I'm guessing, he wants to know about the Cubs offseason plan. Could you give a a 30,000 foot view of what you expect the Cubs to be doing uh, this offseason? Yeah, they will add. Look, they slashed their payroll so much. Uh, to the point that, you know, as you move forward, you, you potentially they could make a lot of money. And I know there's a lot of conversation about ownership and the ownership's not spending. I think there's going to be pressure on the Cubs to take on payroll. Remember, they're part of the National League Central, which is not a, a division where you see a lot of aggressiveness. You know, the Cardinals do some stuff, but not a lot. The Reds have already, you know, traded Tucker Barnhart. Nick Castellanos just walked away. Uh, the Pirates are clearly in rebuild mode, but I think the Cubs, if they add, they'll wind up, uh, you know, potentially uh, pushing themselves back into the, the conversation in terms of winning the division. Already, that does it for a daily batch of Bleacher tweets for the 2021 season. As Buster said, we will be back next week for certain and uh, with much more regularity this offseason. So thank you for writing in. Continue to write in. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. And please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Amen. <laughs> and Taylor, thank you to you. I mean, I give you a hard time all the time of, you know, the over-unders on your drinking, but uh, you know, doing this show every day can be a grind and man, you work through it so well. I appreciate that buster. You know, we, we work well together. You know, this is year two of our, of us doing the podcast together. And I think we really, we, we, we crashed through the ceiling on, uh, on previous efforts and, and hopefully we'll, we'll continue to do uh, better next time. And you, you, my man, I mean, you're up at four, you're pining to get up at 4 AM right now. And, uh, <laughs> that is just unbelievable to, to me. So for you to get up, 
do whatever you got to do. Do this podcast. Go on TV. Go on the radio. Write all day. Do interviews. You're you're getting ready for Sunday night baseball. I mean, we we chronicle it on here on on the podcast. But you're a busy man, and uh, you know you work a lot harder than than a lot of people do in in most industries. So hats off to you, sir. Well, I appreciate that. You too. I mean, juggling all the podcasts that you do and. Um, I, I will be seeing you soon. You and I have talked about getting together, mm-hmm. uh, us going, you know, me going out to dinner with you and your wife, and that'll be a lot of fun. So thanks so much. My thanks today also to Jeff and to Todd. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening all year. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. So it's a podcast tradition to wrap up the daily podcast with a reading of Green Fields of the Mind by the author, the former commissioner, Bart Giamatti. But Bart, of course, is a Renaissance man, and that means that he is also a Red Sox fan. <laughs> he wrote a classic piece, actually, one of his great pieces, called The Green Fields of the Mind. Please welcome him back, Commissioner Bart Giamatti. little piece was originally written one afternoon as the class notes for the class of 1960 in Yale College. I was the class secretary. I had absolutely nothing to say about my classmates. (laughs) I wrote what you're about to hear. It was properly and immediately rejected by the Yale Alumni Magazine on the grounds that it was completely irrelevant to the purpose of the class notes. I accepted the judgment cheerfully, and then (laughs) when unaccountably two months later I became president, the alumni magazine reprinted it. (laughs) Remarkable, but not as class notes. It breaks your heart. It is designed to break your heart. The game begins in the spring when everything else begins again, and it blossoms in the summer, filling the afternoons and evenings, and then as soon as the chill rains come, it stops and leaves you to face the fall alone. You count on it, rely on it to buffer the passage of time, to keep the memory of sunshine and high skies alive, and then just when the days are all twilight, when you need it most, it stops. Today, October 2nd, a Sunday of rain and broken branches and leaf-clogged drains and slick streets, it stopped and summer was gone. Somehow the summer seemed to slip by faster this time. Maybe it wasn't this summer, but all the summers that in this, my 40th summer, slipped by so fast. There comes a time when every summer will have something of autumn in it. Whatever the reason, it seemed to me that I was investing more and more in baseball making the game do more of the work that keeps time fat and slow and lazy. I was counting on the game's deep patterns, three strikes, three outs, three times, three innings, and its deepest impulse to go out and back, to leave and to return home, to set the order of the day and to organize the daylight. I I, I wrote a few things this past summer, this summer that did not last, nothing grand but some things, and yet that work was just camouflage. The real activity was done with the radio, not the all-seeing, all-falsifying television. And was the playing of the game in the only place it will last, the enclosed green field of the mind. 
There in that warm, bright place, what the old poet called mutability does not so quickly come. But out here on Sunday, October 2nd, when it rains all day, Dame Mutability never loses. She was in the crowd at Fenway yesterday, a gray day full of bluster and contradiction. When the Red Sox came up in the last of the ninth, trailing Baltimore eight to five, well, the Yankees rain delayed against Detroit, needing only to win one or have Boston lose one to win it all, sat in New York washing down cold cuts with beer and watching the Boston game. Boston had won two, the Yankees had lost two, and suddenly it seemed as if the whole season might go to the last day or beyond, except here was Boston losing eight to five, while New York sat in its family room and put up its feet. Lynn, both ankles hurting now as they had in July, hits a single down the right field line. The crowd stirs. It's on its feet. Hobson, third baseman, former Bear Bryant quarterback, strong, quiet, over 100 RBIs, goes for three breaking balls and is out. The goddess smiles and encourages her agent, a canny journeyman named Nelson Bryles. Now comes the pinch hitter, Bernie Carbo, one-time rookie of the year, erratic, quick, a shade too handsome, so laid back, he's always in his soul, stretched out in the tall grass, one arm under his head, watching the clouds and laughing. Now he looks over some low stuff, unworthy of him, and then, uncoiling, sends one out. Straight on a rising line, over the center field wall, no cheap Fenway shot, but all of it, the physics as elegant as the arc the ball describes. New England is on its feet, roaring. The summer will not pass. Roaring, they recall the evening late and cold in 1975, the sixth game of the World Series, perhaps the greatest baseball game played in the last 50 years. When Carbo, loose and easy, had uncoiled to tie the game that Fisk would win. It is now eight to seven, one out, and school will never start, rain will never come, sun will warm the back of your neck forever. Now Bailey, Picked up from the National League recently, big arms, heavy gut experience, new to the league and the club. Fouls off too, and then checking, tentative, a big man off balance. He pops a soft liner to the first baseman. It is suddenly darker and later. <laughs> and the announcer doing the game coast to coast, a New Yorker who works for a New York television station, sounds relieved. His little world, well lit, hot combed, split-second-timed, has no capacity to absorb this much gritty, grainy, contrary reality. Cox swings a bat, stretches his long arm, bends his back. The rookie from Pawtucket who broke in two weeks ago with a record six straight hits. The kid drafted ahead of Freddie Lynn, rangy, smooth, cool. The count runs two and two, and Cox swings, and the ball beginning toward the mound, and then in a jaunty, wayward dance, skips past Bryles, fainting to the right, skimming the last of the grass, finding the dirt, moving now like some small, purposeful marine creature negotiating the green deep, easily avoiding the jagged rock of second base and traveling steady and straight now out into the dark, silent recesses of center field. <laughs> well, the aisles are jammed, the place is on its feet, the wrappers, the program, the Coke cups and peanut shells, the detritus of an afternoon, the anxieties, the things that have to be done tomorrow, the regrets about yesterday, the accumulation of a summer, all forgotten, while hope, the anchor, bites and takes hold, 
or a moment before it had seemed we would be swept out with the tide, Rice is up. Rice, who Aaron had said was the only one he'd seen with the ability to break his records. Rice, the best clutch hitter on the club with the best slugging percentage in the league. Rice, so quick and strong, he once checked his swing halfway through and snapped the bat in two. Rice, the hammer of God, sent to scourge the Yankees. <clears throat> the sound was overwhelming. Fathers pounded their sons in the back. Cars pulled off the road. Households froze. New England exulted in its blessedness and roared its thanks for all good things for rice and for a summer stretching halfway through October. Riles threw, rice swung, and it was over. One pitch, fly to center, and it stopped. Summer died in New England, and like rain sliding off a roof, the crowd slipped out of Fenway quickly with only a steady murmur of concern for the drive ahead remaining of the roar. Dame mutability had turned the seasons and translated hope to memory once again. And once again, she had used baseball, our best invention to stay change, to bring change on. That is why it breaks my heart, that game. Not because in New York they could win because Boston lost, and that there's a rough justice and a reminder to the Yankees of how slight and fragile are the circumstances that exalt one group of human beings over another. It breaks my heart because it was meant to, because it was meant to foster in me again the illusion that there was something abiding, some pattern and some impulse that could come together to make a reality that would resist the corrosion. And because after it had fostered again that most hungered for illusion, the game was meant to stop and betray precisely what it promised. Now, of course there are those who learn after the first few times. <laughs> they grow out of sports. And there are others who are born with the wisdom to know that nothing lasts. These are the truly tough among us, the ones who can live without illusion or without even the hope of illusion. But I am not that grown-up or up-to-date. I am a simpler creature, tied to more primitive patterns and cycles. I need to think something lasts forever. And it might as well be that state of being that is a game. It might as well be that in a green field in the sun. Thank you. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.